A few weeks ago, um, I spoke to you from uh, the beginning of Matthew 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, those sayings of Jesus that we call the Beatitudes. Well, several weeks have passed, and we're not yet out of Matthew 5. Uh, but we are at its end today, at the end of that chapter. We are still in a, in a place where Jesus' teachings are highly concentrated, where he is, is offering uh, us a, a, a tremendous insight into who he is and what he's about. And, and I'm going to emphasize with you again today how radical Jesus' teachings are. Um, he is, is turning everything about the life of those he spoke to and everything about our lives on its head. And uh, one of the problems we have is that these teachings of Jesus have become so familiar to us that we just hear them and let them, and let them flow past us. But they are, they are remarkably radical. They turn us on our heads, and I want to show you that today. Turn with me to Matthew 5, uh, the end of the chapter, beginning at verse 38. If you're able to stand to receive the gospel, do so now. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to anyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he makes his son Rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In order to appreciate what Jesus is teaching in uh, this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, I'd like for you to take a step back with me. Uh, It's a good distance back, in fact, um, into the life of the ancient Hebrew community to discover some of the things that Jesus himself was taught in his time, some of the things that he knew about his own people. In ancient times, there was a tradition that we call today holy war, where everything belonging to a defeated enemy is destroyed. If you are taking on an enemy, whether someone who has done you wrong, whether it is your tribe fighting another tribe or, or you retaliating against someone for a wrong that they've done to you personally. Everything that belonged to the defeated enemy was destroyed. Family, property, livestock, everything was destroyed. We read of that practice 
in the Old Testament book of Joshua, when the Israelites defeated Jericho, everything was destroyed. The people, men, women, and children, the city, the crops, the livestock, everything. Saul and Samuel did the same to the Amalekites when he, when Saul defeated them some 200 years later. That, that incident is reported in 1 Samuel 15. It's a long and intricate story. I wish I had time to discuss it with you more fully today. Throughout the Old Testament period, we read of that tradition. Holy war, we call it. In Hebrew, it is harem. In Greek, it is anathema. In Arabic, it is jihad, holy war. And there is no place where that holy war tradition is more discussed and more practiced in all of its bloodiness. No place where you read of it more than you do in the Old Testament, primarily the books of Joshua and Deuteronomy. Those tribal practices assumed that a single offense against a member of the tribe called for the wholesale destruction of the enemy or the offender. But, but, the ancient Hebrews developed something better. Something, there there was a way that they improved upon that idea of holy war. and, And it is called the law of retaliation. It was an advance over holy war, and the law of retaliation is familiar to us. It is stated in the 21st chapter of, of Exodus, in the place close to the place where the Ten Commandments are listed. And Jesus refers to this law of retaliation in Matthew 5, in the passage that we just read. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. That's how it's stated in Exodus. Here was a mark of progress. There came into play, in among these ancient people, there came into play some sense of fairness and justice. No longer was it acceptable to visit wholesale destruction on people their families, their homes, their livestock, their crops, no longer was acceptable to to visit wholesale destruction on someone for a wrong that they had done. Now there was some sense of fairness, some sense of justice that needed to be applied. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. A measure of fairness and justice is the mark of civilization and is more in keeping with God's values. So the scriptures Teach us, teach us. But do you see the progress there from the holy war, wholesale destruction idea to the law of retaliation? You must hold yourself to a fair and just response. And that, that sounds familiar to us. That tends to be the way that, that we operate in our lives and, and in our country and in our legal system too. We want there to be some, some equitable, some fair, some just retaliation for an evil that has been done or wrong that has been done. So Jesus was very familiar with both of those ideas. He lived with them. His people knew them and told those stories. He was familiar with both the holy war tradition and the law of retaliation And what I want you to know today is, and to see today, is that Jesus rejected them both. 
neither one of them is good enough for you if you are my followers. He rejected both of those ideas. He said, in effect, that the law of retaliation for a wrong suffered, even even if your retaliation is a fair and just one, that needs to be abandoned too. It's not good enough for you. Your response to any misdeed done to you, your response to any wrong that you've suffered or any hurt that you experience needs to be, in fact, the reverse of what you want to do and of what you expect. The opposite of what you think. When faced with evil, Jesus said, respond with good. When you are injured, respond with forgiveness. When you face hostility, you respond with grace. When you face theft, you respond with generosity. And and Jesus had several very specific and pertinent examples. He said when you were insulted, he used the... He used the uh, the illustration of when you are struck on one cheek, offer the other one also. Not retaliation, but as an act of love. That response is opposite what you want to do. It's, it's opposite what feels right to us human beings. But if you are my follower, that's what you will do. If you are sued for your coat, give up your inner garment as well. An act of grace which contradicts our ordinary human response. The response that needs to be made to a misdeed is the reverse of what is expected. If someone requires you to walk a mile with them, go the second mile too. Difficult stuff. Challenges the the, the nature that's within us. The thing that we want to automatically do. If you've ever tried to feed a squirrel, you know what this means. You ever try to feed a squirrel? There's hardly anything more compelling than a cute little squirrel sitting there with his tail curled and his paws in front of him, gnawing on a savory lunch. Nothing more compelling than a little squirrel. Wouldn't you be tempted to want to watch a squirrel up close to entice it to come close to you so you can watch and give that squirrel a nut that it could savor. Almost irresistible. But if you try to do so, you will fail. Every effort to entice a squirrel to come to you and to receive the gift, even if it is a tasty morsel, every effort meets with frustration. There's no way that a squirrel will approach a man or a woman, and certainly not a boy or a girl, who offers them even the tastiest morsel to eat. To attract a squirrel, a colleague of mine told me, to attract a squirrel, you must do the opposite of what you want to do. You have to ignore it and look the other way. You have to pretend to be indifferent and inattentive fully disinterested. And the squirrel then will slowly, carefully approach and pick up the treat that you've left for him. This strategy will not work if you have squirrels in your house this winter. I have to warn you. 
But if you want to try to feed a squirrel, you have to make yourself do the opposite of what you want to do. You want to get down on your hands and knees and talk to it and offer it the, all the nuts in the bag. But that will never work. You have to turn your back and ignore it and walk away. And Jesus tells us, when you have dealings with those who are adversarial, even an effort to treat them fairly will fail. If you have dealings with those who are adversarial, even an effort to treat them justly will fail. To deal with such people and to deal with such circumstances where you have been mistreated, where you are not being understood, where you have been hurt, to deal in such circumstances, you must do the opposite of what you want to do. It's not unusual. When somebody does a wrong to me, I want to decimate them. You know what that feels like? A more common response is to retaliate in kind, Jesus reminds us, an eye for an eye. Press our case, force the issue, pursue our adversaries. But but Jesus' disciples are to endure rather to inflict. They are to withstand rather than attack. Back off, he says. Be graceful instead. Turn the other cheek. Go an additional mile. Give something more than is being taken from you. And if you are my disciples, Jesus suggests, if you are my disciples, you will do these things, not because they're easy, but because that's what God is like. This is not an easy concept to grasp. These are not easy things to do. This is revolutionary stuff, challenging things that Jesus is suggesting, nearly impossible for us to accomplish. Did you see the... um, Um, a news report, I saw it yesterday, it may have been on in previous days, but it was about an incident that took place early in the month where uh, a car uh, intentionally hit an old man who was, who was standing in a, uh, a parking lot of a convenience store. The car stopped and there stood the old man and then the car started and, and didn't roll over him but knocked him over and injured him. We know very well what the law of retaliation is all about. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We know very well what, what holy war is all about. We've, uh, we've seen that in our lifetime and we experience it sometimes on the streets of our own community. But Jesus suggests to us something entirely different. Not an easy concept to grasp and not easy to follow through and do it. It's not just nonviolence. It's not passive aggressive. It's not being a a wimp or a doormat and being taken advantage of. It's not a, a curl up and let people beat up on you kind of strategy or response. What Jesus is suggesting is that what Jesus is suggesting requires us to see beyond the person confronting us to the evil that possesses that person and to deal with the evil rather than the personality. It, it, Jesus would tell us to look beyond the cute furry squirrel to the fear that lies within it and then deal with that fear. Do what you have to do to deal with the fear in such a way that the squirrel can approach. Jesus calls us to deal with evil in such a way that it it is disarmed by God's grace rather than empowered by our retaliation. Disarmed by God's grace rather than empowered with our retaliation. A minister serving a church in Brooklyn 
in the days of Henry Ward Beecher. That was in the early part of the 19th century. He, he told about a, a man who hated Beecher bitterly. Henry Ward Beecher. His, his sister was uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Un- Uncle Tom's Cabin. Quite a prominent pastor in those days, well known all across our country and the world. Well, his colleague said he knew a man who hated Henry Ward Beecher bitterly. Even said publicly that he wouldn't even walk across the street to set foot in Beecher's church and hear him preach. Later, however, that very same man became Henry Ward Beecher's devoted friend. And the explanation of how that happened was quite simple. Whenever a man did something wrong to Henry Ward Beecher, whenever someone did an ill turn to Henry Ward Beecher, Beecher was not happy until he had done the offender a good turn. He would look for opportunities to do something positive and something good, especially to someone who had done him wrong. And, and he was uh, so well known for that that it became a whimsical proverb in Brooklyn in those days. If you want a favor from Beecher, kick him. If you want a favor from him, kick him. Because if you do him an ill turn, he will go out of his way to do something positive and helpful and good for you. Claude Wesley was uh, a principal of a, uh, an elementary school in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, and uh, one day he tells the story, he still tells this story, uh, of taking his daughter Cynthia to Sunday school, dressed in her best. And they went that day, she went that day, to learn from Joseph in the Bible the lesson of forgiveness. But Cynthia never came home. This is the story her dad tells. I drove Cynthia to Sunday school and then uh, went down the block to get some uh, gasoline in my car. I wasn't far away when I heard the explosion and I knew it was our church. I rushed back, but I could not find Cynthia. I wanted to think that she had left the church, but someone told me I'd better go to the hospital. There they asked me what she was wearing. I told them about her little class ring that she loved to wear on Sundays. They pulled out her hand from under the sheet, and I saw the ring. And then I saw her black patent leather shoes and her white socks, and I said, that's her. I didn't want to see how she looked. I've not asked why it happened to us. And he said, I don't feel bitter about it. I'm just hurt because my daughter was taken away from us. When some racist lunatic bombs a church and snuffs out the life of little girls in Sunday school, isn't the proper reaction one of rage and retribution? If someone is selling drugs to high school students in our community, isn't the just response one that removes that person from our community so that they can never return? If a man goes into an elementary school and shoots the children, shouldn't that person be destroyed? Shouldn't I take the opportunity to tell the unsavory truth about the people who took my business away from me and undermine my reputation in the community? If someone runs down my friend in a parking lot, shouldn't I take off and run them down too? Those aren't imaginary questions. Those aren't things that we don't face every day in one way or another in our community, in our nation, in our families, and in our homes. 
Such things cause perplexity and immense pain for multitudes of people every day. And sometime or another, probably more than we are aware, each of us faces hostility and anger and pain inflicted needlessly by others. We experience unfairness and prejudice and meanness and thievery and hatred. And Jesus says to us, You disciples of mine, you are not above the law or outside the law of old, but you must go beyond the law. You must do better. You must aim higher. But at the same time, Jesus knew that we are not capable of that. The last thing he said to his disciples in that particular teaching is, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And of our own, Jesus knew that we are not capable of perfection. Like squirrels who quiver with fear and cannot overcome that fear, no matter how tasty the food being offered, we human beings cannot by ourselves overcome our retaliation response, our want to react and to respond to anyone who has done us wrong. All of Jesus' teachings, even the example of his life, is wasted on us unless we have opened ourselves to God's grace. For it is only with the strength that God gives us in Christ, it is only with the spiritual power available to us from God himself that we are able to approach what Jesus taught, to begin to understand it and to do it. In our day, to be able to replace our instinct to retaliation with the higher righteousness that Jesus expects of us is something that we cannot do on our own. It is only a gift of God's spirit within us. I constantly pray for you and for me the spiritual power that God makes available to us through Christ, the spiritual power that strengthens us to overcome the destructive ways of our world. Amen.